The following program is sponsored by Friends of Life Outreach International. Sarah May explains how she learned to love and forgive her alcoholic mother. You know, she was physical sometimes, but it was mostly just the fact that she was brilliant at sarcasm and cutting you down until you felt like you were absolutely crazy. And I can remember one time I was very afraid and I went to tell her and I somehow, you know, got the words out, Mom, I think you're an alcoholic. And she said, so what? The Complicated Heart, next. because you're a wonderful audience, and we just welcome you. I'm James Robinson, Betty, and I'm thrilled to have this opportunity to spend time with you. Let me just say this to you, that you really are very special. Uh, you, you will find that if you, you're going to listen to an incredible story by uh, Sarah May and her journey. It's titled The Complicated Heart. Would you welcome Sarah May? Thank you. Sarah, you... Uh, you know, you've already told some of your story. You're a great communicator. And I know you go and speak now in different places. If somebody wanted to access your website to say, mm-hmm. how would we get to Sarah perhaps to come and help us in something? Where would they go? Oh, thank you for asking. You would go to sarahmay.com, which is S-A-R-E-H-M-A-E.com. All right. And do you go and speak in different places when you see the door open that you know it's the appropriate place to go? I do. I really enjoy it. And I also speak through... Um, I have a podcast, so people can find that at the complicatedheartpodcast.com. But, um, yeah, I do. I love it. I want you just to carry us through the journey that you want us to see because so many people have been hurt. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes we don't realize how deeply people are hurt, and God really wants to get his arms around the hurting. Wouldn't you say he's the only one who can give us the comfort we need? Absolutely. When our heart hurts. Tell us us the story you would like our viewers and everybody at home to hear Mm -hmm. and see, and then about how they can go into the book and really be carried through, I think, to a real place of healing. Yeah, that's great. Um, Well, my story essentially starts around 14 years old when I move in with my mom, who happens to be an alcoholic, but I don't know it yet. I had, my dad had custody of me. They were divorced when I was very young and I would visit my mom in the summers and I thought she was fantastic, just so fun and wonderful. Um, But when I moved in with her, because I felt like a girl should be with her mother, it was not what I expected. It started off fantastic. I had no rules. I could do whatever I wanted, which is sort of a teenager's dream, right? It's mm-hmm. obviously not good. But to me, it was fantastic. And, um, and then I started to witness my mom drinking a lot. And when she would drink, she would just get very, very cruel. And so she would... Um, She was just very emotionally and verbally abusive. If I came in and smiled at her, you know, and had braces on, she would tell me, you know, you're so ugly or, um, you know, she was physical sometimes, but it was mostly just the fact that she was brilliant at sarcasm and cutting you down until you felt like you were absolutely crazy. And I can remember one time going and confronting her about being an alcoholic. And of course I was only 14 years old, so I had no experience with this. I was very afraid. And I went to tell her, and I somehow, you know, got the words out, Mom, I think you're an alcoholic. And she said, so what? 
And I was like, wait a minute, that's, that's not what the shows tell you. <laughs> like they're supposed to say, thank you for telling me, like I'll go get help now. And she didn't. And I can remember saying like, well, mom, when you drink, you get really, really mean. And she just laughed at me. And I said, I don't even think I love you anymore. Cause she, you know, she'd just been beating me down for so long. And she again, just laughed and like rolled her eyes. And it was that night or a few nights later, I remember sitting in the bathtub cause I was feeling just extremely alone. I thought I was maybe crazy cause uh, she was gaslighting me, which is just somebody who makes you feel like you're insane for what you think. Mm -hmm. And so I was in the bathtub and I remember staring at this plastic pink Daisy razor and thinking, I wonder if you can kill yourself with, you know, a cheap razor. And I didn't want to die. I just wanted her to care. Like, I just wanted her to see me and say, I love you, like, don't do this. And so I remember, and again, I'm 14, so this isn't like the most logical thing to say, but I was emotional and I was heartbroken and I yelled out and I said, I'm gonna kill myself. Mm. And she said, go ahead, I dare you. Oh and that, that really encapsulates our relationship. Um, I just never, she, I could not make her feel for me or care. She would say that she loved me, but then she would, you know, go and be so cruel. And so she did not stop drinking. And so I did what I figured I needed to do to not be alone. And I, and I got a boyfriend. Um, and he, the boyfriend, he had a mother who was addicted to crack and he did not have a dad. And so we just became each other's like everything. Mm. And, um, when I was 16, I got pregnant. Mm. And at that time, my mom didn't know how to deal with it. And, um, it's because she had gotten pregnant and had abortions in her life and she'd never faced those things. So I think she just didn't know how to process what I was telling her. And she kind of became like a little girl. Mm. Whenever she was scared, I became the mother. So she had a boyfriend who was half her age, who was abusive. And I came home one night and he'd torn up our entire house. And I had to become like the mother because she was so afraid. So that was the whiplash of our relationship. And so anyway, I'm 16. I find out I'm pregnant. I call my grandmother who lived in Pennsylvania where I'd come from. My mom was in Georgia. And, I, and she said, I'll have it taken care of. Mm. And I was like, no, I don't, I wanna keep the baby. And she just hung up the phone on me. Mm. And so it was very confusing and um, it was very alone and I did not know God, um, but I'd always believed in him. When I was, this is important to the story because he always is with us, even in our deepest, darkest pits, even if we don't know he's there. So like when I was a little girl, when I was probably around nine years old, um, I have a sister with a different dad and her dad kidnapped her. My mom had dropped her off for a visitation and he never came back. And so I prayed every night that we would, to this God I did not know, that I would find my sister. And like after, I think it was six months or a year, we found her. And so to me, in my little girl heart, I was probably nine years old, eight or nine at the time, that just cemented that there was a God. <laughs> then when I was, um, right before getting pregnant, you know, around 14 years old, I um, had an uncle come and visit and he gave me like a Christian cassette tape. And um, I remember listening to it and just crying out for whatever it was that this man was singing about. I had no idea, but I was like, God, whatever that is, like whoever this Jesus is, like I want him. So fast forward now, I'm 16. And um, I end up going back to Pennsylvania for the summer. 
I'm three months along. My family won't look at me. They won't talk to me. Are they still trying to get you to... Yes, it was confusing because my stepmom was Catholic and she was very pro-life and she wanted me to keep the baby, but not for myself. She wanted to raise the baby. It was very confusing. Um, I wanted to, nobody asked me what I ever wanted, but I thought, well, I could give the baby to somebody who can't have kids, but my family didn't like that idea. Basically, everybody wanted me to just have an abortion because I had a prominent family and they didn't want this stain to be on the family. So eventually I was so sick though of being alone and um, the black sheep of the family. Like I said, my grandmother who was so close to me wouldn't even look at me. Mm. And I was very, very sick. I was throwing up morning, noon and night. So not only am I super sick, but I'm alone. And so finally I'm like, I'm done with this. And I'm like, fine, I'll have the abortion. And so because I was in a prominent family, they actually changed my name and took me to a hospital. The doctor said I was too fidgety in the clinic. So they took me to a hospital and put me under and changed my name. Mm. And I woke up two days later in the um, home of my grandmother who didn't talk to me before, but now was serving me toast with a smile. And we never talked about it again. Mm. So I ended up going back with my mom thinking I have to stay there. I felt stuck. Um, and really, I probably only stayed because of the boyfriend. But at this point, my mom and our relationship was just terrible. And I, I really hated her. <laughs> and um, after another year there, I finally was like, I got to get out of here. So I was t- my boyfriend and I had like a trailer. It was so gross. There were so many terrible things. Um, his sister was prostituting herself out of our trailer. It's just... I didn't want this life anymore at 16 years old, 17 years old. So I finally moved back to Pennsylvania. I thought I can just start over. I'm going to have a new life. I don't want to do this. And I hate my mom. I don't have to have anything to do with her anymore. Like I am out. And um, that's when the Lord began to call me to himself. And that changed everything because I would not have had anything to do with my mom. She wounded me so very deeply. I felt very alone. But I came to know the Lord and um, through high school, through young life. And um, after that happened, I felt like, and I knew through reading the scriptures, that God kept calling me to love her and forgive her. And I was like, no, no, no. (laughs) (laughs) How do you forgive somebody who wounded you so deeply and who keeps doing it? Mm. Like if I kept, if I would talk to her on the phone, it was name calling, it was constant just cutting me down. If I tried to visit her, it was just, I would leave in tears. And so I was like, Lord, how, how do I do this? And because he's so kind, we, I learned that first for me, I had to make that decision like, okay, God, I will trust you and I will surrender and I will choose to forgive her, but you're going to have to show me how to walk that out and make it real. And so God in his kindness brought people into my life to teach me what to do. And there's three pretty significant things I would love to share mm-hmm. with you on how he taught me to love and forgive my mother. The first one is um, he, he taught me that I needed to deal with some deeply held lies that I was believing. And he did this through a mentor who I went to her house one day in college and I was like, I'm an emotional mess. And she started writing these words on a page and she wrote like, um, I, am, I am stupid. I am not in control. I am not good enough. Like she just kept writing these things and she's like, do any of these hit you? And one was, um, I'm not taken seriously. So I'm not good enough. I'm not taken seriously. I'm stupid. All of those things. I'm ugly because my mom had told me I was ugly. So 
I'm like, uh, I believe all of these things about myself. I had to begin to believe the truth because dealing with our lies pushes us towards the gospel, right? Mm -hmm. And the truth was that it was okay if somebody didn't take me seriously because my worth is only in Jesus. This was huge for me. I didn't know this. And to learn that only God had, only God has the authority to tell me who I am, that changed everything for me. And it was still a process of working through my lies, replacing them with the truth, but discovering sort of those deeply held core lies was a huge first step. And we all have them because as children, we're, ex we're excellent observers of our world, right? But we're terrible interpreters. Mm -hmm. So yes, my mom was cruel to me, but it did not mean that I wasn't lovable if she didn't take me seriously. So that was a big one. And that's fleshed out more, of course, in the book. The second one was learning how to set boundaries. Okay, God, you want me to love my mom and forgive her and be in relationship with her? Like, how? Because she it cuts me. And I remember there was this alcohol uh, counselor that was a guest lecturer in my college class. And I ran up to him because he was an addiction specialist. And I said, what do I do? Like, when I talk with my mom, you know, she, we just go down this spiral. And he said, if I have a ball in my hand and I throw it to you, what are you going to do? And I said, I'm going to catch it. And he goes, then what? And I said, well, I'm going to throw it back. And he said, oh, so you've decided to play the game. He said, if you don't want to play the game anymore, stop throwing the ball back. And that was my first experience with what it meant to set boundaries. I don't have to stay in this spiral. I can hang up the phone. I don't have to wait until she's happy or pleased with me. I can, I can stop this toxic cycle. And boundaries are really just what will I tolerate and what will I not tolerate. And again, that's fleshed out way more. And the third really important thing that I, I want to say to anybody who's struggling with a difficult relationship and you're trying to figure out how on earth do I forgive this person, let alone love them, is we have to learn how to mourn what we lost. So we don't mourn the future because that's where hope sits. But the reality was I did not have a mother. I did not have a nurturing mother. And that was a valid loss. And so I had to grieve that. But when we grieve something and we let go of the expectation that she'll ever be that, that she would be a mother, that taught me then how to love her just as a human made in the image of God in need of love. Mm -hmm. And so all of those things were um, extremely helpful in the journey for me on learning how to love and forgive her. And then here's the incredible thing. There's so many <laughs> impossible prayers and miraculous things that happened. You guys, I wish I had time to tell you all of them right now, but they are in the book. But one thing is um, after she passed away, I was able to get a hold of her journals and reading them broke my heart because I had no idea how wounded she was and how alone she was. And it made me want to love everybody because every everybody has something going on that we don't even see. And I had no idea how desperate she was for the love of a father that she never had. And I was desperate for the love of a mother that I didn't have. Don't you appreciate her sharing her journey with us here? It's, it's complex and complicated, but I'm telling you, this is a, a beautiful work of God mm. that is in process and continuing. Mm -hmm. And the thing I want all of you to hear, I don't, I don't know where you are. I don't know how you're responding. I don't know what's going on in your mind. But, you know, I've been, I've been preaching now. I'm approaching 60 years of looking into the faces of people and then betting out on television for 50 years. And uh, I can see hurt. Mm. And I can see hunger. Mm -hmm. 
And I'm telling you, there is a father. This is a fatherless person who met the father that everyone can meet. And even if you had a good father or a okay father, mm. there is the ultimate perfect father. And he has a perfect understanding of you and love. Mm. And he really wants to hold you so close to his heart that you identify with his love and you identify with his concerns. You're a concern. He wants to heal the hurt in the most complicated life or heart or mind. He can. And that's the reason you're listening. Because the God that changes life, that gave his son, that through Christ we could have life, even when she was seeking counselors, she was seeking the counsel of the Father mm -hmm. through people who would seem to understand. So you're seeking. That's why you're watching. I think getting the book would be a blessing to you perhaps. But here's the thing I want you to know. Right where you are, the Father wants to pull you right up in his arms. Mm -hmm. He really does. Mm -hmm. He wants to be the comfort you never thought you could experience. That's the reason we come into your home, to share life today. Not just with mm -hmm. people on the other side of the world or in difficult circumstances, hunger or thirst, but you, Father, I pray for every person you're speaking to right now, and you are. And you really want to hold them and heal their broken heart and ultimately make them a healer of broken hearts. When having received your love, your grace, your forgiveness, they suddenly begin to share it. Mm. Please, Lord, please take them in your arms. He is reaching out to you right now. You just reach out and say, Lord, I receive you, all your grace. Mm -hmm. You know, Sarah, you really have, uh, you're on a journey mm -hmm. that you're sharing with others to help them. And uh, I want to thank you for that. And you know what our viewers do. They're amazing people. Mm -hmm. They know when they watch us, they're going to hear that God uses people from all walks of life and all levels to really be amazing in what God does in their life. Mm -hmm. But when we show them a need, a very legitimate need, yeah. and we show them love, they want to meet it. Yeah. Right now, we're asking our viewers to help us rescue mm. girls and oftentimes boys yeah. from sexual trafficking yeah. or they've been taken prisoner. And I want you to listen to me real close. Right now, the opportunity is as great as it's ever been. Mm. And you're going to see what love does. And I'm going to tell you this. We've had some people just like you who said, you know what, we so care about setting these children and these women free. We're going to put up $320,000 to match what you do. It takes $128 to rescue someone, to reach them, rescue them, and begin to restore them. $128. And that'll be doubled. Would, would you right now just watch and listen and say, God, what do you want me to do? Because I believe you will and you are going to set captives free because of God's love through you. Watch. I've traveled with Life Outreach to several different areas where human trafficking is a real problem. And I can't tell you how horrible that is. Girls who have been trafficked at a very young age, kept in bondage and slavery, and left bruised, broken, crushed, 
What better solution to a problem of such evil than to prevent it from happening in the first place? I'm standing right now on the border between Nepal and India. Just in the last hour, we've watched this team rescue several girls who are being trapped across the border. They were able to notice something not right, stop the vehicles, question the girls, and realize that they were actually being trafficked. Because of their efforts, we are stopping lives from being ruined. The reality is stark. The more of you who choose to help, the more of these young lives we're able to save. If we can keep these workers, these monitors, on this border, we can prevent children from being taken into a life that they were never intended to live. That beautiful lady, Carrie James, will be here with Betty and me tomorrow to just coming back from uh, overseas, rescuing, just, just back. 11 grandchildren, four beautiful children, loves people. She and her husband have helped us for a long, long time. And Betty, she's coming here to just say, let's, let's keep helping them. What goes on in your heart when you see these trafficked children and realize that those rescue workers and those missionaries that our viewers support, they are not ineffective. They totally change the future of these children. What, what do you... And they also put themselves in danger, James, because no they have to do everything undercover so that they don't get caught trying to rescue these precious little ones. And they are precious little ones, to God especially. And we have an opportunity, and I call it an opportunity because that's exactly what it is, to rescue these children. We must do it. I can't even imagine the tears when I see one little girl shedding tears. How many tears she has shed hoping that it will be the last for this reason that she's been captured and taken advantage of. Please join with us. Let's rescue the perishing and care for the dying because a lot of them do die as a result of the neglect and the abuse that they, that they have been taken to bondage to. So please help us do that. You know, when we talk about rescuing them, that's really not an exaggeration. Love doesn't fail. The people that go there with a broken heart and with love, with such a desire to help, they're in many ways helpless without our help. We're the connection that makes it possible. We're the support base. We're the, we're the lifeline, literally, to make it happen. And I'm asking you if you would go and get your bank card and go online or dial that number that's there for people to call for prayer and it's paid for by love. But would you go and say, I'm going to help rescue one. And they just rescued several. Kyrie said she watched them. They're hitting them off before they get them across the border. They go into areas where they know these children are being recruited and they show them true love. Then we get them many times out of the brothels and it's very dangerous. You actually last year helped us build a secure place where we could take them and they couldn't come get them back. 
You made that possible. You, who? People like you. If you'd say, I'm going to do what I can, knowing that because of the love of God and other friends, your gift will be doubled. $320,000 as a gift. Boy, that's, that's huge. That's a lot of love. It takes $128 average to rescue one and get them started into restoration. It'll be doubled. You'll rescue two. And I ask all who can, and if you can, I believe you will, could you give $1,280 to help rescue 10? It'll now be 20. Whatever you do will be doubled. Father, I pray everyone who can help will joyfully and gladly help rescue those precious girls and boys who are often taken in Jesus' name. Would you go right now? Reach out with arms of love and touch someone. Set them free. Please, you can either go online or call that number. We have some gifts we want to send you to say thank you. And you're not giving to get a gift. We give a gift to you to bless you in your life and your spiritual journey because we love you and we appreciate you. Thank you for reaching out. Behind the bright lights, there is a darkness where a world of innocence is lost and abuse runs rampant, scarring the souls of children with no one and nowhere to turn for help. With bodies broken and hopes crushed, these young victims are trapped in a never-ending nightmare. Today, you can shine the light of God's love in this dark world to reach, rescue, and restore these young ones to the life God designed for them to live. With a generous $320,000 matching gift, now your gift of $128 to help rescue a child can be doubled to help two children. Your $64 gift will be matched to help rescue one child from the horrors of human trafficking. And a $32 mission rescue gift will be doubled to $64. And with your donation of any amount, we'll send you the Faith, Hope, Love Tea Towel Set. These beautifully woven hand towels are a wonderful reminder to remain steadfast in faith, hope, and love each day. With your gift of $128 or more, you'll receive the life-giving Proverbs Journal. Bound in genuine leather, this journal is filled with wisdom and daily encouragement from Proverbs, featuring lined pages for your personal notes as you reflect on godly instruction to success in life. Finally, please consider a gift of $1,280, which will now help rescue 20 children, and you may request our beautiful bronze sculpture, Safe in the Shepherd's Arms. Please call, write, or make your gift online. I want to thank you, and I want you to know this Proverbs journal is absolutely beautiful, and boy, do we need wisdom. I think you'll love the beautiful towels that reference our faith and our love. And I want to just say this, that if you would like to have Sarah May's book because you think it'll help someone or help you, and you say, would you send that to me? I think I, think I need what she shares. You help touch some of those who need our help. You just ask for it. We'll be glad to send it to you. Would you join Betty and me in saying thanks to Sarah May for being such a blessing to us here? We appreciate you. God bless you in your journey. If you help others, thank all of you for watching. And again, thanks for helping us share life every day.
Do you have the courage to be healed? Best-selling author Mark Rutland explains how faith is not the only variable needed. Tomorrow. Life Today is made possible by the supporters of Life Outreach International. Your gift will be used exclusively for the exempt purposes of life. The ministry features specific outreaches as examples of the programs it supports and conducts. Gifts are considered to be without restriction as to use unless explicitly stipulated by the donor. The ministry is a member of the ECFA.